This podcast is sponsored by Acres USA, the voice of eco-agriculture. For more than 45 years, the writers, editors, and growing experts at Acres USA have cultivated information about modern farming practices that do not rely on toxic pesticides and toxic herbicides. We share that information through our monthly magazine, our online bookstore, events around the country, and through online articles and podcasts like this. If you're a new farmer or have been farming for a lifetime, you know there's always more to learn. New research into soil life, gut health, and nutrient and mineral applications are changing the way we look at farm management, and the most important part, the future of our soil. At Acres USA, we are committed to finding the experts to teach you these methods and practices. Learn more at www.acresusa.com or by calling 1-800-355-5313. Folks outside the U.S. and Canada can call us at 970-392-4464. If your business would like to advertise or sponsor the Tractor Time podcast, spots are available. Contact us today to find out more, and thank you for listening to Tractor Time. We are in a revolution, but it is a revolution in which the side that fires the first shot loses. We will not fire any shots because our weapon is uncommon good sense. Welcome to Tractor Time, brought to you by Acres USA, the voice of eco-agriculture. I'm your host, Ryan Slayball, the GM and publisher of Acres USA. Uh, so happy to be here again this week, and thank you so much for listening. Uh, we're growing so much every week with our podcast. We know there's just so many people out there uh, wanting to connect with the community of ecology-based growers. Uh, we're happy to help connect those at Acres USA, and we uh, think the podcast is uh, becoming a great tool for us to do that. I talked to somebody last week about it, somebody who found our conference through this podcast. Uh, again, it's a great way to actually take the lessons you're hearing here and here in person and get to work in person with the instructor, the expert, the scientist, the consultant, the farmer, whoever's speaking. Uh, you can learn more on our website, acresusa.com. Uh, you can also find all our podcasts on iTunes or on ecofarmingdaily.com or on acresusa.com. We try to put it as many places as possible. So let's get into it this week. Let's get into it this week. Not a great start. Let me try that again. Let's get into it this week. Uh, Last week, I took a trip. I spent about 36 hours in the car driving from Colorado to Illinois, down to Columbia, Missouri, back to Illinois, through Nebraska and Iowa a couple times, and back home to Colorado. For the few days I was in Missouri, I spent at uh, uh, some sacred ground acres, USA, at the Worldwide Agriculture Conference, uh, which was held down there this year. at the University of Missouri, among the tall brick buildings and beautiful campus, is an open space called Sanborn Field run by a guy named Tim Reinbot. You probably recognize the name if you've ever been to our conference. Uh, there, Tim has built and preserved what a professor named William Albrecht built there a century ago. Professor Albrecht started the test plots in hopes of showing what happens when you grow corn continuously without fertilizer or manure and what that does to the soil. Uh, I'll save you the suspense. You probably already know the ending. It looks terrible. The stocks miniature compared to the other more well-fed test plots were brown and only about two feet tall. Uh, got some audio of Tim talking about that field. There's video too and I'll show it on our website that you can actually see the plot. Uh, Eco Farming Daily is where it'll be held if you want to check it out. Anyway, here's the audio. Now, if you take, when you take the soil test, you get below that first foot or so, we have a lot of natural P and K. So it's, if you ever fertilized it enough one time, you can start bringing up some, some fertilizers. And I know in 1990, that was a big issue. 
Now we know what happens after 130 years, 100 years, how do we reverse it? But I think these we got to keep just the way they are. But it was near these fields that uh, Charles Walters, who founded Acres USA in 1970-71, met William Albrecht for the first time. Charles, while trying to piece together the information that would build the foundation for Acres' belief in ecology-based agriculture, kept hearing scientists he interviewed telling him about Albrecht. Uh, Charles being Charles, he did the research and found out uh, Professor Albrecht was just down the road a couple hours. Charles was living in Kansas City at the time. So he called the university and they told him not to bother. But Charles being Charles, he got in the car anyway and drove him to meet the scientist. When he knocked on the door, he heard a voice boom out, don't knock when you enter and leave the same way. Charles walked in, and I learned all this from his son Fred. And when Charles walked in, even without an introduction, he said, uh, Professor Albrecht said, you must be from Western Kansas. You have good teeth. Albrecht had pioneered research to connect local food to local health. It's science, uh, excuse me, it's science, um, really should be more understood today. He pulled dental records from the military and matched those with the amount of calcium found in the soil and found that they matched. It's an incredible study, still available on the university's uh, academic research site. Just Google University of Missouri Albrecht research papers and you'll find it. Anyway, the conversation sparked a long-time friendship. Charles would edit more than a dozen volumes of Albrecht's research and use that research to develop his accurate view of agriculture, that the only way to truly make money, to really make this a profession, to make this a viable job is to work with nature. He met other Albrecht students like Neil Kinsey and built lifetime friendships. In fact, Neil and Charles may have been Albrecht's last students. In Columbia, we heard more than a dozen farmers and consultants uh, who used the Albrecht system of growing and uh, saw their results. Uh, most of them are using the mineralization techniques Albrecht preached, balancing magnesium and calcium, and advancing on that research with biological techniques of composting and manure and the like. Nobody walked away with a question of whether or not these work, that these lead to higher yields. It's proven over and over again in New Zealand, in Newfoundland, in Canada, in the United States, uh, everywhere. Uh, we were there to reinforce this belief, and everybody walked away feeling that way. It was very powerful, and uh, certainly emphasized why Sanborn Field down the street is so sacred. Uh, I have to admit, just because those who are in the know want me to probably admit that, yes, we were meeting in Monsanto Auditorium. It was not lost on us there. Uh, in many ways, it reinforced why we were there, that we have to create education about ecological-based agriculture at the forefront, that we cannot introduce the chemical amateurism, as Charles would put it, right off the bat when they're learning. So anyway, all this driving and inspiration got me thinking. That for this show, we needed to go back in time and dip into our archives and find a good conversation with Charles Walters. Uh, we found one. It's one of the last talks of his career. It was aptly titled Then, Today, and Tomorrow. It was given in 2006 in Minneapolis, and like so many of his talks and writings, it's still relevant today. He passed away a couple years later after the talk, so we are technically in his tomorrow. To all those listening, let's keep up the good work. And uh, share me in feeling blessed to have those who came before us pave such a clear path ahead of where we need to follow. As Charles says in the talk, this is the wave of the future. Here's Charles. He'll explain the rest. Thanks for listening.
Thank you. Well, applause already, and I haven't even told the gag. I do wish you a wonderful meeting in, in uh, St. Paul. We have a thousand acres ranch beef on the menus around here during this meeting. This is the first time we've been able to get a major supplier to get through through to the cooks in the major hotel. So uh, enjoy, because this is the wave of the future. As you can see by my presence here, and I'll try not to stumble off the stage, I'm still above ground. <laughs> that was the case back in the 30s. I grew up in the Dust Bowl of Kansas. On the 21st of January in 1932, tons and tons of soil went 20,000 feet into the air and launched one of the greatest tragedies in American history, the American Dust Bowl. I was a student at a one-room school a little later on during those dust years. And one day I had an assignment. I forget which grade it was, one of the early grades. I was to make a speech. So I prepared, and I'm not quite as bad as the guy that uh, was, had a part in a play, and he says, he was supposed to come out and say, is it? He rehearsed for weeks. Is it? Is it? And then the night of the play, he, went, he got, stepped out on the stage and said, it is. <laughs> I got up in front of the class of three, and I said, the lame ducks are going home. Now, I had another line, but I forgot it. And so I went and sat down to a real applause from my three classmates. <laughs> We're now again facing the lame ducks going home. And those of you, those of you who have observed ducks and geese, you'll note that every third step they take, they leave something behind. And this Congress hopes to leave behind ratification of Alimentarius Codex, or Codex Alimentarius. The objective is to comply with the World Trade Organization and turn vitamins and minerals over to the physicians as a prescription item. I don't know whether they'll get this done during the lame duck session. But the word I have out of Washington is there will be a try. This is one of the problems we have with our bought and paid for Congress. They are no longer serving the people. They tend to rule us, but they forget the admonition of Talleyrand to Napoleon when he said, you can do anything with bayonets, sire, except sit on them. <laughs> he meant that you could not occupy the seat of power without a great deal of cooperation from the citizenry. And when that cooperation goes out the window, that government is through. 
Now, we're at a turning point. We have people out here who feel the, the hard heel of oppression that's grown exponentially in the last two administrations. And it's being felt on the farms. One of the great efforts being made today is that little plastic card of your farm's registration. And then the computer chips into every animal you own, including the pet dog. They're working it. Federal government sponsoring it through the state governments. In Ohio, or in Indiana, I guess it is, in Indiana you cannot go to a show with a calf unless you have that registration. People are unaware of it. There's been no mention of it in the, in the national press. But we have been trying to get the word out. I've written two major articles entitled The Mark of the Beast. And I hear calls from all over the country for permission to reprint that article and fan it out among the farmers. I urge you all to do the same thing. Make use of some of these materials that we offer to you in Acres USA and spread them out among non-subscribers and others so they can be informed. We have these oppressive measures picking up steam by the hour, it seems. We've seen it before. Way back in the 20s and the 30s, the new plaything was x-ray. We had x-ray machines in every shoe store. And this went on for maybe 15, 20 years. We, we painted the dials of watches with radium until finally the, the bill came in. People with cancer, people with horrible growths, people with debilitation that the medical associations could not deal with. This has now been enlarged. We have fluoride went into the waters of America at the end of World War II. And Dr. Olry the man who I reported on in fertility and, and minerals in the genetic code tells me that in sequencing some 300 tumor-suppressing genes, the missing element is iodine. Now, iodine is missing quite frequently because they're drinking fluoridated water, and fluoride bumps iodine. It's one of the four halogens, bromine, chlorine, fluorine, and iodine. Fluorine pretends to be iodine and creates that debilitation that is being represented in the genetic code. We find that doctors are investigating what they're doing in medicine. As I speak, 2.2 2 million people each year get medicine that creates serious allergies through the pharmaceutical industries. Twenty million people get 
prescriptions for viruses that are totally useless. 7.5 million people have unnecessary surgeries. And uh, 8.9 million people have hospital stays that are unjustified. This study was made by a bunch of four MD physicians studying the literature of the last 20 years and putting every data base together that they could find. Now, the clincher to it all is that 800,000 people a year are killed by our medical practices and the pharmaceutical drugs that they're taking. This hasn't stopped just with human medicine. It's been transported over to the animal world and to the agriculture. We have a childish epidemiology being invoked whenever a reactor cow comes down or is re uh, revealed to be uh, a reactor for uh, bovine tuberculosis. And we have an old ritualistic practice of depopulating the herd if even one reactor is in the herd. And farmers ask, what can we do about all this? There's a revolution going on, ladies and gentlemen. It's a serious revolution, but we cannot fight it with guns or rough stuff. We have to fight it with the Gandhi system. Mahatma Gandhi told us that there are several sins of civilization that bring a civilization to term. Wealth without work. Commerce without morality. Pleasure without conscience. Science without humanity. Knowledge without character, worship, without sacrifice, and last, politics without principles. Now, the first I mentioned, wealth without work and Sacrifice, I mean, without sacrifice, uh, worship without sacrifice are really the same thing. The sociologists tell us that there are really 11 basic major religions of the world history. You know some of them, Christianity, Judaism, uh, Shintoism, Confucian, Islam, etc. I think there are really 12. There's one that follows Moloch. That's where we get the term mula. It's the worship of money. We worship money. All of us are infected to some degree, some less, some more, some totally. But we all have this malaise. We think that there is some way that we can get perpetual revenue independent of further expenditure of energy. That's what we mean when we say wealth without work. 
But let's dismiss that and let's get down to what we really want to talk about. And that is science without humanity. One of the big issues that's going to come forward during this next congressional session with a new Senate and a new House will be embryo stem cell research. Now, I don't know how many of you could raise your hand and tell me that you can give a definition of what a stem cell is or what this is really all about. How many could really get up here and give us an explanation? Hands, please. Is anybody raising their hand out there? Two. That's about right. And yet, in the state of Missouri, the people were asked to vote on the issue. They might just as well have been voting on the best form of brain surgery. They didn't know anything about that either. We see in Texas, New Mexico, beautiful horse cloned. But nature doesn't clone. Nature reproduces what it appears to be a clone, but it's, uh, it's not quite the same thing. The aphid appears to produce aphids without, without uh, 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 any kind of uh, a mating. And the bee but the truth is the aphid, even the aphid has to have a male partner once a year. And so does the bee. But we're going to take a stem cell, which is an un... We have two kinds of cells. We have the, we have, we have the committed cell and an uncommitted cell. And the uncommitted cell is what they call the stem cell. If they take it and move it into an egg that has a nucleus taken out and put it in the Petri dish and stimulate it, they can transport all the chromosomes from the donor to the egg without having the male and the female each providing their half. In other words, what we're going to decide is whether or not, or Congress will decide, whether or not we're going to start cloning Dolly the sheep, human Dolly the sheeps. This is going to be a big issue, and many people are calling it are, are calling it into question. But that isn't the worst thing that's happening to us. What's happening to us is happening first of all down on the farm, where the animals want to be tagged. They want to be tagged with a a computerized chip and the people who do not agree with it as I pointed out in, in the, uh, the Mark of the Beast article if in, in Europe and in Ireland they've stepped out and actually just shot them down because they weren't complying now what should you do my advice is don't cooperate a nation of 300 million people that doesn't cooperate cannot be bullied around. It's only if they cooperate completely. And if agriculture doesn't cooperate and makes it as expensive as possible for them to enforce it, the program collapses because they haven't got the funds to do it. 
there are other things that we can dwell on. We've, we've covered the various technologies that we, that we teach people, that we carry from one end of the country to the other. And one of the best that I hear from routinely is our affiliation with ocean solids. I had a call the other morning from Jurgis Lareklin who spent most of his working lifetime behind the Iron Curtain until Germany was re, uh, reunited. And he says that he got a hold of our little book on the ocean solids, fertility from the ocean deep, and it's setting the area around which he works in Germany on fire. The same reports coming in from England, Canada, Australia, Hawaii. There's a man in Hawaii sitting on the rock. He says, for all this time I've worried about where the fertility was going to come from. And then I, finally I find out that I'm sitting out here in the middle of fertility that's eight miles deep. We have been publishing books on these various aspects starting with the primer many, many years ago and ending up with uh, minerals and the genetic code. And we think that maybe one of the missing elements nationwide is the mineralization of the nation. The whole country needs to be remineralized. And we are among the few in the country that have any answer whatsoever these answers are not being communicated in the Metro dailies, in the farm magazines. They are largely being ignored. And all I can say is, let the truth be told, though the heavens fall. Years ago, I ran across a little poem. It was in uh, Gilbert and Sullivan's. Princess Ida says, man is coarse, man is vain, man is more or less insane, man's a ribald, man's a rake, man is nature's sole mistake. <laughs> well, that may be true for most of the agronomy that we see around us, but it's not true for the people who are assembled here. We are quite cognizant of the problems that are raised, the questions that are uh, posed. Science has its norm. You hear it all the time. Triple R, SS, PRP. You know what that means. Randomize, replicate, Repeat, get some data that's statistically significant, and get peer-reviewed publication. Without that, you're not truly scientific. And yet the observers among us, the Gerald Fries, the others who have come forward and presented their findings in books that line the shelves out there, they are as scientific as the most correct scientist with his 
ruled paper and white coat in any university in the country. We now know, for instance, that you cannot put the best bull with a cow that doesn't have the right amount of butter fat and end up with anything better than a sorry calf. There are books, hundreds of them out there, of people who have set down what they in their personal lives have experienced and learned about agronomy. And there is validity there. And there are mistakes there. And the mistakes are usually by the people who don't pay attention to what they're reading and do not follow instructions. There are no panaceas. We have to learn everything from the ground up. But we have come forward with a body of knowledge that has no equal in what's left of the land-grant colleges. Slowly, the epidemiologists, the, the bug experts, the insect men are coming aboard. And sometimes we run into problems that our best solutions don't answer. But we keep finding answers. In the last year, I've produced a manuscript which is now in press entitled, Ask the Plant. Kay Chandler, down in the Rio Grande Valley, tests the petiole of the plant, the stem there to the leaf, and finds out what nutrients that are in the soil actually make it up there. If they don't make it up there, what good are they going to do you? You can't get photosynthesis to work correctly if you can't get the nutrient uptakes either. This is brand new cutting-edge stuff. The stuff on the genes. Dr. O'Reilly's been sequencing those 300-some tumor-suppressing genes and finding out what is the missing nutrient. What's the missing nutrient that's allowing this country to come into a profile where <coughs> two out of three people, I mean one out of three people at the most, almost two out of three people, end up with cancer at some time in their life. We look at all of these things, and I can't help but return to one of my favorite writers, Alexander Pope, and he sees the world for what it is. He said, the blind man dances, the cripple sings, the sada hero, the lunatic a king. But hope springs eternal in the human breast. Man seldom is, but always to be blessed. So, in just talking to you, individually and even as a group, I returned back to where I came from, western Kansas, then to my first job at word wrangling. I was one of the first people in the country to systematically report rodeo back in the 1950s. And in the rodeo game, we loved poetry. And we considered this, as Altman said, 
There's no tragedy when an old man dies. Time waits for no one. I'm 80 years old. I may not be around here to see this revolution sweeping agriculture and burying the capos and burying the errant technology. I heard a speaker just a little while ago from uh, Australia and he was pointing out something that I knew and we've had in acres but he's refined it. We're doubling the use of nitrogen. It's unneeded nitrogen because of the bad agricultural practices we have. Most of that nitrogen goes way up into the air. It makes its union with oxygen and creates nitrous oxide. And I used to say it's 183 times more polluting than anything the automobiles put out. Nitrous oxide. But he said, no, I'm wrong. It's 212 times more polluting. And Al Gore missed it entirely in his book. Well, the cowboys of the old times, they didn't miss much. And I'll leave you with a thought. The boys really knew how to oil up their old insides. They went to town, and when it was all over, they turned them around and went the other way and headed back to the old cow camp. And they're carrying quite a load. And who should they see but the devil himself prancing down the road? Now the devil said, Yonnery skunks, you better hunt your hole. I'm the devil himself from Hell's Rim Rock, and I'm here to harvest your souls. Now Sandy Bob said, devil be damned. I know him a little bit tight, but you ain't going to get this cowboy's soul without one hell of a fight. So he swung his rope, and he swung it straight, and he also swung it true. And he caught the devil by the horns and took his dally, too. Now, Buster Jig was a Riata man. He had a rawhide coiled real neat. He shook it out and made us whole and lassoed the devil's hind feet. So they stretched him out and tailed him down and dehorned him while the iron was getting hot. Then they rolled him over and they branded him quite a lot. <laughs> they left him there under the Pecos Peaks tied to a blackjack oak. But before they did, they tied his tail in a knot just for a joke. So if you're ever up in the Pecos Peaks and you hear this awful wail, it's the devil trying to shake the knot out of his tail. Have a good time at this meeting. Shake the knot out of the devil's tail. Do you need any more? That was Charles Walters in 2006 in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Thank you for listening. This is Ryan Slaybaugh, and from all of us here at Acres USA, we wanted to say have a great week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting us, and uh, keep up the great work.